Hello, welcome to Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast. I be Gary Howard, and I got an interesting case today. But first, as always, if you're a new listener, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And let me tell you a little bit about what I do. I'm a truck driver. I drive over to 48 continental in the United States. And I talk about the truck stops and murders that ha- may happen around this truck stop. Well, at least I try to stay close by it. And like I said, if you were a turn listener, thank you. But that's what I do. And today is going to be a fourth warning that it has to do with torture, brutal, a brutal kid murder, and done by kids. And one of them, the murder victim, is a child. So if this is something you don't want, don't want to listen to, then I advise you. Thank you for trying, but maybe this episode is not for you. And please, as always, please share with friends. Go write review anywhere you can. And I had a Patreon and PayPal, but I, I don't know if I have that set up right. I'll have to go look into that and with you know set within my website so you can go one spot. But enough of that. But first, tomorrow is a special day for me. Tomorrow is my 20th anniversary. Now it's the 20th anniversary of the first date with my wife. My wedding anniversary is August 28th. But since the army made me get that married that was the armed force day we were already coming all married in texas so i i recognize that date as an anniversary may 11th 20 years so everybody send desra a message congratulate her well no she's not a big facebook social media person but today's episode brings me to wadi kentucky at the Flying J in Waddy, Kentucky. If you want to know where that's at, that's on I-65 on Highway 395, exit 43. And the most part, it's a low rating truck stop. It's like a 2.6 out of 355 reviews. And I'll get to the reviews. But yeah, people are not happy about it. Really low. Diesel right now is $3.15 a gallon. So it had, that was from about seven hours ago. And death is three zero nine, three dollars and nine cents. So if you try to plan on fuel up there, that's the price. And as of right now, there's lots of spots. Right now, my time, it's actually the tenth at ten forty one in the morning. And there's lots of spots, but as you'll soon see, a lot of these spots are they have a lot of pay spots, reserve spots. There's a hundred ten. I don't know quite the numbers of what. How many are reserves? I don't remember. But I just did a reset here not too long ago. Seems like I should know. But yeah. So if you're driving through here in a truck or whatever. Or a car. And you're hungry. You won't get a bite to eat. But this is not the place to be. You have a Denny's there. And and you'll see more about that. And I could kind of verify. Because I know I said I was going to get Denny's. But I got tired of waiting. So I just left. And the Flying J's food there. They have pizzas, chicken tenders, and all that. Good stuff. But the Flying J food. And that is it for as for food. And if the Flying J is not for you, there's a Love's Truck Stop right across the street. I'm not going to go in detail about it. Because I do go through here a lot. I might want to revisit this city. But yep, that's the Flying J. Like I told you on I-64 right there it's actually right east of louisville kentucky but right now i'm not there i'm actually in my yard right now in joliet illinois i work for prima express and right now i'm looking at my boss linus something i don't know his last name he's from lithuania i can't pronounce it and see what he wants me to do i guess i'll be sitting here waiting but that's fine it gives me opportunity to record this episode Otherwise, I'll be driving, and that's one of my problems with being a truck driver. Is a lot of days I work from 12 to 14 hours, and I do plan on doing an episode, but I just get so tired. And plus, if I wasn't driving, I would go ahead and record it, maybe get a little sleep. But with the, my profession, I I don't want to risk it, get drive around, getting tired, and then fall asleep at the wheel. Nope, I'm not going to do it. And I have been trying to get a regular routine on this but i guess as a truck driver i'm not going to be able to so what i'm going to do is i'm going to research it once i get done with the research and i will put out the episode i will try to stay within a week but that's i don't know i'll do my best but 
Here's the case out of Whitey. Now, the case that I'm about to cover is Indiana. It's actually not too far from where I was at. It happened in Madison, Indiana. And we're talking about the murder of Shonda Shearer. Now, I saw this case before, and I forgot what TV show it was on. It was one of um, ID channels or Discovery channels. I don't remember which one. but And then I long forgot about it. But when I was researching for this episode then i remembered well actually looking for not researching this episode but looking for uh, something to do around that truck stop that's when i came across this but yeah madison wisconsin which the town itself is well during world war ii was i found this interesting it was a cast of army training training film at the uh, hometown uh, as the hometown of gis were fighting to protect in 1958 it was a town picked by hollywood for some came running a film about post-war malice starring frank sinatra and shirley mcclain it was a prosperous river and rail center at the 19th century its riverfront district is crammed with federal greek re greek revival italian and then of course i'm right off the bat italian and gothic revival homes different like castle type homes really cool which I'll talk about what where this location happened today. 133 blocks of the riverfront districts are the National Register of Historic Places. House and garden tours, river races, and art festivals draw tourists by the busload. A recent Saturday night's police officer blotter listed three possible domestic disturbances. Well, this is what happened as for crime. And on three possible domestic disturbance, a dogfight, fireworks a drunk a crying woman several noise complaints and one break-in at a card shop so really not a hostile area mr townsend the prosecutor is a former newspaper reporter with a document in british history he has been on the job for 18 months and this is and what i'm about to, is the first murder that this happened that you know ever happened the county of 30,000 has had in 12 years so like i said if you move i don't know the prices i'm not going to go into the housing prices i'm not going to do that but as you can see like i said nothing really bad a dog fight fireworks a drunk sounds like mayberry to me and so if you want you know a good place to for your kids to grow up that is it but not until nothing like this ever happened until the likes of shauna shearer the murder of Shauna Shearer involved a 12-year-old girl. That's her. She was tortured, burned to death in Madison for by four teenage girls. Of course, this attracted a nationwide attention. As you see, it caught the eyes of many people, to include Phil, Dr. Phil. Did an episode on this. But yeah, Shauna Shearer. Let's talk about Shauna, and then we'll talk about the rest of the people involved in this. Shonda Renee Shearer was born in Pineville Community Hospital in Pineville, Kentucky on June 6, 1979 to Steve Shearer and Jacqueline Vaught. Shearer attended 5th and 6th grade in Louisville at St. Paul's School where she was the cheerleading she was on, on the cheerleading team, volleyball and softball teams. After Shonda's parents divorced, her parents remarried and the family moved to Louisville where her mother divorced again and the family moved to new albany indiana in june 1991 shauna rode at hazelwood middle school early in the school year she transferred to our lady perpetual high school a catholic school in new albany where she joined the school's female basketball team and so that's a little bit about her everybody nobody ever said anything negative about her she's a young girl transferring you know she's going through a little bit but nothing like what well, the likes of what I'm these other three girls came into so Melinda Loveless let's talk about Melinda Melinda Loveless was born in New Albany Indiana in October 28 1975 the youngest of the three daughters to Marjorie and Larry Loveless and Larry will find out that he is pretty much a piece of shit and he kind of explains why how Melinda turned out the way she did but yeah, Larry was drafted in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War, and he was treated as a war hero upon his return. His wife later described him as a pervert who would wear 
her and her daughter's underwear and makeup, was incapable of staying monogamous and had a mixture of jealousy and fascination with seeing her have sex with other guys, other men and women. They lived in or near some around that moved a lot while New Albany, Indiana throughout Melinda's life, childhood. Larry worked irregularly for the Southern Railroad after his military service. His profession allowed him to work whenever was most convenient for him. In 1972, Larry became a probationary officer with the New Albany Police Department, but he was fired after eight months when he and his partner assaulted a black man who Larry accused of sleeping with his wife. In 1988, Larry brief briefly worked at a mail carrier but quit after three months. Well, probably got fired because he was doing very little work and he was bringing a lot of the mail at home and destroying it, probably looking for money or the different things. But yeah, he lost that job. Marjorie had worked intermittently since 1974 when both parents were working. The family was financially well, living in the upper middle suburbs of Floyd's, Floyd Knob, Indiana. Larry did not usually share his income with the family, making the mortgage payments and positively spending money, any money he earned on himself, especially for firearms, motorcycles, and car, cars. He filed for bankruptcy in 1980 and extended family members often described their loveless daughters as visiting their house hungry and apparently not getting food at home. Though most, most of their relationship, Larry was unfaithful to his wife and they often, often had an open marriage like I was saying. They would often visit bars in Louisville where Loveless would pretend to be a doctor or a dentist and introduce Marjorie as his girlfriend. He would also share her with some of the friends from work which she found disgusting. During an orgy with another couple at their house, Marjorie tried to commit suicide, an act she would repeat several times throughout her daughter's childhood. When Melinda was nine years old, Larry forced Marjorie to participate in a gangbang, which is horrible. Why would anybody, you know, force their wife to do something like that? So I really don't know why she stayed with them with all this. After which she tried to drown herself. After that innocent incident, she refused to, refused to have sex with him for a month until he violently raped her as their daughter's watch. Now, I've, I read many things where... They watch, or some say they were in another room, but either way, they did hear what was going on and probably really disturbed young Melinda at the time because she, she was not that old. In the summer of 1986, after she would not let him go home with two women he met at a bar, Larry beat Marjorie so severely that she, ho that she was hospitalized. He was convicted of battery. The extent of Larry's abuse of his daughters and other children is unclear. Various court testimonies claim he fondled Michelle as an infant, molested Marjorie's 13-year-old sister early in the marriage, molested the girl's cousin Teddy from age 10 to 14, and both older girls, elder girls, said he molested them. Though Melinda didn't admit that this ever happened to her, she slept in bed with him until he he fi he finally abandoned his family when she was 14, which to me it don't seem like a bad thing. But I mean, financially wise, but really, is finances worth the harassment of everything this man was doing to them? I I don't know. I don't think so. That's just me. In court, Teddy described the incident in which Larry tried tied all three sisters in the garage and raped them and raped them in succession. However, the sisters did not confirm this account. Larry was verbally abusive to his daughters and fired a handgun in Michelle's direction when she was seven. Initially, you know, initially missing her, he would also embarrass his children by finding the here. This is what I think is crazy: finding their underwear and smelled it in front of the family members. This guy was not right. But for two years, beginning when Melinda was five, the family was deeply involved in the Graceland Baptist Church. Larry and Marjorie gave full confessions and renounced drinking and swinging while they were members. Larry became a Baptist, church, Baptist, Baptist lay preacher, and Marjorie became the school nurse. The church later 
arranged for Melinda to be taken to a motel room with a 50-year-old man for a five-hour exorcism. Okay. Larry became a marriage counselor with the church and acquired a reputation of being too forward with women, eventually attempting to rape one of them, and their old habits came back. After this incident, the loveless parents left the church and returned their former professions, drinking and open marriage, back to their former self. In November 1990, Larry was caught spying on Melinda and a friend, and Marjorie attacked him with a knife, sending him to the hospital after he attempted to grab it. She then attempted suicide again, and her daughters called authorities after the incident. Larry filed for divorce and moved to Avon Park, Florida. Avon Park, this is when he left and made Melinda sleep with him during this time. Right before this, Melinda felt crushed, especially as Larry remarried. He sent letters to her for a while, playing on her emotions, but eventually served, severed all contacts with her, would stop talking to her. And that was the last he heard from her. Okay, so that is Melinda Lovelace. The next person I want to talk about is Mary Lorraine Tackett. She was born in Madison, Indiana, October 5th, 1974. Her mother was a fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian, and her father was a factory worker with two felony convictions in, 19, in the 1960s. Laura claimed that she was molested at least twice as a child, at ages 5 and 12, in May of 1989, the mother discovered that Lori was changing into jeans at school one day. Because, you know, Pentecostal, they have to have dresses or culottes. I think what there was, I belonged to a church for a while. And they were not having women wearing jeans. It was crazy. But they wear culottes, which is just super baggy shorts. Which I was always confused about that. I always joke around about that, about the dresses and stuff like that, because they had to have easy access for the Baptist. <laughs> but yeah, found her changing in jeans at school, and after a confrontation, you know, she f f confronted her that night, attempted to strangle her. Social workers became involved, and Laura's parents agreed to an unannounced visit to ensure that the child's well let me see laura's parents agreed to an unannounced visit i guess they had announced it to her before they called to ensure that the child abuse has not was not occurring anymore laura and her mother came into periodic conflicts at one point her mother went to hope rippy's house after we'll talk more about her house after learning that rippy's father had purchased a ouija board for the girls she demanded that the board be burnt and the Hope's house be exercised. So, yeah, this she was definitely one high mighty roller. Plus, a Ouija board probably was made by Parker Brothers. <laughs> but, yeah, Laura became increasingly rebellious after her 15th birthday and also became fascinated with the occult. She would often attempt to oppress her friends by pretending to be possessed by the spirit of Diana the Vampire. She began to engage in self-harm, especially after early 1991, when she began dating a girl who was involved in the practice. Her parents discovered that the self-mutilation and checked her into a hospital on March 19, 1991. She was prescribed an antidepressant and released two days later with her girlfriend and Tony Lawrence. She cut her wrist deeply and was returned to the hospital, which is another person we'll talk about, Tony Lawrence. That'll be the fourth one we'll talk about. After treatment of her wound, she was admitted to the hospital psychiatric, psychotic ward. She was, if you listen to me for my proper pronunciation of words, then you're listening to the wrong one. I am a mush mouth like you wouldn't believe it. I do my best, but I am not perfect. But anyhow, here we go. She was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and confessed that she had experienced hallucinations since she was a young child. She was discharged on April 12th. She dropped out of school in September of 1991. So Laura stayed in Louisville area until October 1991 to live with various friends. She met Melinda Lovelace, which, you know, we talked about, but the two did not become friends until late November and December. Tackett moved back to Madison on the promise that her father would buy her a car. 
She still spent most of the time in Louisville and New Albany, and by this summer, most of it was with Melinda Loveless. So there's the first two girls. We talked about Shonda Shearer, and then we talked about Melinda, and this girl right here, Laura. And those are the two. Now, you can see how your childhood was not the best. Crazy sexual abuse and everything like that. Now, these next two girls, there's really not much about them. But all the same, they did have kind of a, a you know, bad childhood, what a lot of people say. But Hope Rippy, Hope Anna Renee, Hope Anna Rippy was, I was trying to get Anna and Rippy confused and just ran into Renee for some reason. But yeah, Hope Annie Rippy was born in Madison, Indiana in June 1976. Her father was an engineer at a power plant. Her parents divorced in 19... In February 1984, you see one thing about the divorce, but these three girls, and she moved to Quincy, Michigan with her mother and siblings for three years. She claimed that living with her family in Michigan was somewhat turbulent. Her parents resumed their relationship in Madison in 1987. She was reunited with her friends, Lori Tuckett and Tony Lawrence whom she had known since childhood, although her parents saw Lori as a bad influence, as with the other girls, Hope began to do self-harm at age 15, so cutting her wrist, getting to know probably listen to Pesh Mode or The Cure, I got all kinds of stories about that, but then we'll be here all day about my sister and her friends, and I don't think she wants me to put that out in the public, so I won't. Now, let's talk about the, the final girl of this group. Tony Lawrence. Tony, Tony Lawrence was born in Madison, Indiana, 1970, February of 1976. Her father was a boilermaker. She was close friends with Hope Rippey from childhood onward, you know, from mom. She was abused by a relative at age nine and was raped by a teenager boy at age 14. Although the police were only able to issue an order to keep the boy away from Tony, she went into counseling after the incident, incident, but did not follow through. She became promiscuous, began to self-harm, and attempt suicide in eighth grade. So you can see from Melinda, Laura, Hope, they, their childhoods was not very good, which could probably can be connected to why you know reason why they did what they did. I don't know. Only they will know, or we'll find out what they did let's find out what these four three girls did to shonda shearer so events prior to everything all shit went to hell in 1990 melinda loveless met and began dating i forgot amanda heverin now there's i don't have really have nothing on her and she was just the melinda's girlfriend at the time which was actually the cause of a lot of this but a lot of it was because of melinda's jealousy after her father left and her mother remarried, Melinda was erratic, depressed in counseling and fighting at school. In March 1991, she came out of the closet to her mother, who was initially furious but furious, but eventually accepted it. In the fall of 1990, in fall of 1990, Melinda's relationship with Amanda deteriorated, and Loveless came to associate this deterioration with Shonda Shear. So this is where she comes into the picture. Amanda and Shonda met early in the school year when they got into a fight. However, they became friends while in detention. After the altercation, Melinda immediately became jealous, even though she was broke up. But they, she, all the same, she was jealous of the relationship. In early October, the two girls attended a school dance when Melinda found them and confronted them. Although Amanda and Melinda never formally ended their relationship, you know, involvement together, Melinda began dating an uh, older woman, so woman, older girl, I guess. She was a senior. And a lot of things I read said that Amanda and Shonda, some say that they were in a relationship, some say they were just friends. Close friends, of course, Shonda just, you know, pretty much new to the school, so she's probably just looking for somebody to associate and, you know, try to fit in. But, unfortunately, you'll find out that she met the wrong person. Now, she didn't read, Amanda was not the wrong person, but Melinda decided that it was not happening. But Melinda became increasingly jealous when Amanda and Shonda went to a festival together 
In late October, she began discussing killing Shauna and threatened her in public, concerning about their daughter's relationship with Amanda. Shauna's parents arranged for her to be transferred to Catholic school in late November, and the girls started drifting apart in December. They never reformed their relationship at all. So at that time, when when Shonda went to the new school, they they, they pretty much quit talking. They were separated. So, but here's when everything went crazy. Of course, Melinda still was upset about that. And on January 10th, Tony Lawrence, Hope Rippey, and Lori Tackett, the three girls I was talking about, drove to there's one more drove to Tackett's drove in Tackett's car from Madison, Indiana, to Melinda Lovelace's house in New Albany. Hope and Tony, while friends of Lori, had not met Melinda. However, upon arrival, they borrowed some clothes from her, and she showed them a knife and told them that she was going to scare Shonda with it. None of the girls, except for Melinda, had ever met Shonda, although Laura already knew of the plan to immediate, to intimidate the 12-year-old girl, Melinda, Okay, not Melinda. Melinda explained to the other... I better slow down because it's all going to run together. <laughs> explained to two other girls that she disliked Shauna for being a copycat and for stealing her girlfriend, even though they were not dating at the time. Here I'm talking about these teenage kids. Keep in mind, these these are all teenage kids. Let's talk about their relationship. They probably don't even know what a relationship or love or anything like that. They're just going through their juvenile minds and schoolhouse crushes but yeah laura let hope drive them to shauna's house in jeffersonville indiana stopping at mcdonald's restaurant for directions of course this is before cell phones and gps's they arrived after at her house shortly after dark and melinda instructed laura and tony to go to the door because she was already melinda or was already having trouble with shauna so if she saw shauna she would not go so he induced himself as friends of, friends of Amanda and invited Shauna to come to them to see her girlfriend who was waiting for her at a place called the Witch's Castle. Shauna said, said that she could not go because her parents was awake and told the girls to come back around midnight. So let's talk about this. A little note about this, like a little castle. You know, the witch's castle. The witch's castle in Utica, Indiana, was once home of a covenant of witches, was supposed. It was a site of a, of course, I won't get to that. Almost, I left that in there for some reason. But paranormal investigators used the site for experimentations. According to a historical tale, a covenant of witches once lived in a crumbling stone structure resembling a castle in the trees of Utica. I hope I'm saying that right. U-T-I-C-A, Indian, Indiana, Riverside. Local residents didn't trust the women, so they burned down the castle. Since then, brave teenagers or risk-takers have explored the area, often vandalizing the remains. There are rumors that this place is haunted, earning it the name's Witch's Castle. Paranormal investigators have visited the land, and the castle is one of the most unusual spooky structures in the United States. Of course, there are many rumors about this place with ghosts, witches, and stuff like that. One legend explains that you can sometimes hear a little girl laughing in the woods, as well as a loud thumping. People also seen a white mist moving throughout the castle. Many people have actually seen a girl wearing a white dress with long black hair covering her face. So, it's a haunted place. Like a... I guess well, I guess I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to go to this place called Axman's Bridge, where a lot of people think that somebody, some lovers went there, they have sex, and then her boy, the boyfriend went out to take a piss, and then they hear like a thumping on the roof, and that was his body hanging from there. But it was just a, a scared tale. We just went there to drink beer. It was out of the way, and hardly no police ever went there. i never seen no police there, but never seen no ghost, so... Melinda was angry at first, but Lori and Tony assured her that they could return back to her because she couldn't leave because her parent was up. Told her to come back after midnight. So Melinda was angry at first, but Lori and Tony assured her that they could return for her later. The four girls crossed the river into Louisville, went to a punk rock concert at the Albion Skate Park near I-65. Tony and Hope quickly lost interest in the music and went to the parking lot outside the 
the skate park where they engaged in sexual activities with two boys they met at the concert in Lori's, Laura's car. And hopefully they cleaned up. But I doubt it. But eventually the girls left Sean to back to go back to Sanju. San eventually the girls left for Shauna's house. During the ride, Melinda said that she could not wait to kill Shauna. You know, until then they were just intimidating her. They weren't planning on killing her like that. Well, Melinda probably knew about the murder and maybe Laura, but the other two girls was not aware of it. So, like I said, however, she also that she found her. This is what I think is crazy. She also said that she found her attractive and would like to have sex with her and that she was just intending to use the knife to frighten her. So I don't think she knew what she wanted to do. Then they arrived at Shauna's house at about 12.30 a.m. Tony refused to retrieve Shauna, so Laura and Hope went. Melinda, who was previously harassed by Shauna many times, hid on her blanket in the backseat of the car with the knife. So yeah, did not want to be seen. So Shonda was waiting for them. Hope told that Amanda was waiting for her at Witch's Castle, like I said earlier. She was reluctant, yet agreed, but yet agreed she didn't want to go at first. But after changing her clothes, Melinda was in the backseat hiding under her blanket with the knife. So soon Shonda jumped in. He got in the car in the backseat. That's when Shonda jumped out and she put the knife to Shonda's throat as they got into the car and drove towards Utica, Indiana. The witch's castle, Laura told the girls that legend said the house was once owned by nine witches. And tons of people burned the house down to get rid of the witches. So they're telling her the story about where they're going to take her to. And she was probably, I can imagine, scared. Got throat and knifed her throat with this one girl who's already been trying to fight her many times with jealousy. And these three girls that she didn't even know. So... At the witch's castle, they took Shonda. And by the way, this is when it's going to get pretty bad. You know, what they did to this poor girl. But I have to say, she was one tough little girl. She did not take, you know, she was scared, but she was tough. And you'll soon see why. At the witch's castle, they took Shonda in and bound her arms and legs with rope. The girls were scared by the headlights of passing cars. So they left for a place near Laura's house, stopping for gas, and again lost again for a while before finally making the way to Madison, Indiana. So that's when they took Shonda out of the car. Laura led them to a garbage dump off a logging road in a densely forested area where Tony and Hope were frightened and stayed in the car as Melinda and Lori made Shonda strip. Then Lori, Laura beat her with her fist, then repeatedly slammed her face into her knee cutting Shauna's mouth on her braces. Melinda tried to slash Shauna's throat, but the knife was too dull. And Hope came out of the car to hold Shauna down. Melinda and Lori took turns stabbing her in the chest and then strangling her with a rope until she was unconscious. And a lot of people, you know, they probably thought she was dead, but you don't realize that a person, once you start choking them, you're going to do, all you're going to do is eliminate the oxygen to their brain at first, so they'll pass out. But that don't necessarily mean they're going to die. It takes a long time to strangle somebody because you have to, even after the time they pass out, you still have to strangle them longer to really eliminate the oxygen to their brain until they die. But at first, they just pass out, kind of like a, a wrestler does to a sleeping hole. At this time, what I, they placed her in the trunk and told the other two girls that Shonda was dead, like I said. Then they went to Laura's nearby home and went inside to drink soda and clean themselves. Then, this poor girl, they realized Shauna was screaming in the trunk. So Laura went out with a paring knife, which is a very small knife, and stabbed her several more times. Coming in a few minutes later, covered in blood, after she washed, she got her rune stones out and told the girls' futures with them. Tony and Hope stayed behind as R2 went country cruising at 2.30 in the morning. Driving to the nearby town of Cannon, Shana continued making, like I said, crying and gurgling noises. So she was still alive. She didn't need to do this all. So Laura stopped the car. Shana sat up covered in blood and her eyes rolled to the back of her head. I bet you that really scared this Laura at the time because probably thought she was a zombie. 
but was unable to speak. Laura then beat her with a tire iron until she was silent. They returned to Laura's house just before daybreak to clean up again. Hope asked about what happened to Shauna, and Laura laughingly told them about the torture. The, the conversation woke up Laura's mother, who yelled at her daughter for being out so late and bringing her home the girl. So Laura agreed to take them home. She drove to a burn pile near Laura's house and showed the other two girls. Shauna, Tony refused to look, and Hope sprayed Shearer with Windex and taunted her with this is what she said she said you're not going you're not looking so hot now are you really and I, I don't know if she was alive at the time or if she was awake but she was just spraying with her and by the way I forgot to mention when she was at the witch's castle they were taunting her really bad just making fun of her this poor girl the girls drove to a gas station near Madison high school pumped some gas into the car and bought a two liter bottle of pepsi laura emptied the bottle and refilled it with gasoline they drove north of madison just past jefferson proving ground to a place where with which hope was familiar with off of 421 us 421 what was called lemon road they placed shauna still alive in a blanket and carried her into a field by the gravel country road Laura made Hope pour the gasoline on her, and then they set her on fire. Melinda, and then they left. Uh, of course, Melinda was not convinced that she was dead, so they returned a few minutes later to pour the rest of the gasoline on her to finish the job. So the girls went into McDonald's, and these, it was crazy. 9.30 for breakfast. The girls laughed about Shonda, looking like one of the sausages they were eating. Tony, horrified, called a friend toward her, told her, you know, Tony's somebody. She she was. I don't know. I, I a lot of the things I said. This, she's the one who really. Well, let me just tell you the story. Tony, horrified, called a friend and told her about the murder. Lori then dropped Tony and Hope off at their homes and returned home with Melinda. They cleaned out the car using a hose to wash out the trunk. They then drove to Melinda's house around 3 p.m. Melinda found out Amanda was at River Falls Mall and had her paid claim in emergency. They told her that they had killed Shauna and arranged to pick up Amanda later that day. Melinda's friend Crystal Wathen came over and they told her about what had happened. Then the three girls drove to pick up Amanda and bring her back to Melinda's house. They then told her the story while she did not believe it was true. She confronted the Starko Melinda. Both Amanda and Crystal was convinced when Lori showed them the trunk with Shauna's bloody handprints and socks still in there. So, now let's see how they got busted. So later on that morning, January 11th, two brothers from Cannon, Indiana, was driving towards Jefferson Proving Ground to do a little bit of hunting when they noticed something on the side of the road. They called the police at 10.55 and was asked to return the body Returned to the body, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Buck Shipley, and the Buck Shipley, what a name of a detective. I am Detective Buck Shipley, Sheriff Officer. <laughs> and detectives arrived to begin investigation, taking forensic evidence at the scene. They initially suspected a drug deal gone wrong and could not believe the crime could be work of locals. And as I said, this was a very peaceful town effort. There was really nothing going on. So when this happened, it was... What the hell is going on? It can't, it can't be nobody from here. It has to be from outsiders. So Steve Shearer noticed his daughter was missing. Because they don't know who the body was. It's burnt pretty bad. So they don't know who it is. Shauna, so back to Steve Shearer, noticed his daughter was missing early on January 11th. After calling neighbors and friends all morning, he called his ex-wife Jacqueline, Shauna's mother, at 1.45 p.m. And the two met in filed a missing report with the sheriff. At 8.20 p.m., a hysterical Tony Lawrence went to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office with her parents. She gave a rambling statement identifying the victim as Shauna, naming the three other girls involved as best as she could, and describing the main events of the previous night. But Shipley contacted the Clark, the Clark County Sheriff and was finally unable able to watch the victim, you know, match the victim to Shauna Shear's 
missing persons report. Detective Howard Henry went to Shauna's house, then obtained dental records that positively identified her as the victim. Glenn and Laura was arrested on January 12th. The bulk of the evidence was for the arrest was a warrant for Tony State was because of Tony's statement. She knocked them all out. The prosecution immediately declared it intention to try both all of them as try them all as adult. I think they're only talking about Melinda and Laura. For several months, the prosecutors and defense attorneys did not release any, any information on the case, leaving the media only the statement by Tony. So just whatever she said, that's all they were saying. And I really don't think they put out the names here because they were juveniles at the time. They were under 18, which was repeated in the arrest warrant and contained a general background of the crime. So let's get into the sentencing. So as adults, you know, they could have faced the death penalty. All four girls were tried as adults. So to avoid a death penalty, all four girls accepted plea bargains. Laura and Melinda, like they were the main case. The judge quickly sentenced them, said, be gone with you two. 60 years in the Indiana women's prison in Indianapolis. Be gone with you. Bye. For a maximum time reduced for good behavior, they could be released in 2020, which I'll get into that later. Tony was sentenced to be gone with you too, young girl Tony. 20 years in prison. Thank you for knocking your friends out, but we're going to give you 20. Hope Ripley was sentenced to 60 years with 10 suspended for mitigating circumstances and 10 years of medium supervision probation with time or reduced for good behavior she was released in 2006 which I'll get into the other girls so sentencing reductions in October 2007 Melinda's attorney Mark Small requested a hearing to argue for his client's release he said that Melinda had been profoundly retarded now that's me I'm not calling her retarded I would say mentally handicapped but Laurier said profoundly retarded by childhood abuse and was not represented competently by counsel during her sentencing, which caused her to accept the plea only because extra, you know, extra of claims that the chances of her being executed was high. Her attorney also argued that Melinda, who was also 16 when she signed the plea agreement bargain, was too young to enter into a contract of the state of Indiana without consent from a doubt or guardian, neither of which have been obtained. If the judge accepted either argument, she could have been released outright. However, after attorney was unable to see his client the night before the hearing, the hearing was delayed until December 6, 2007. On January 8, 2008, a sentence reduction and a request to overturn Melinda's guilty plea was rejected by the Jefferson County Circuit Judge Ted Todd. Ted Todd. Instead, Loveless will be eligible for parole in 15 years, thus maintaining the original guilty plea. On October, November 14, 2008, Melinda's appeal was denied by the Indiana Court of Appeals upholding Judge, Judge Ted Todd's ruling. Mark Small stated that he will seek to have jurisdiction over the case moved to Indiana Supreme Court. So they're really trying to push this. So the, the crime was documented. And so she's there. I'm getting tongue time as usual. But yeah, they're, so they're all in jail. The only one not in jail right now is Hope Rippy, which she got in 2006, which I will get to that. And this was a pretty big case. At the aftermath of this case, the crime was documented in two true crime books, Little Lost Angel by Michael Quillen and Cruel Sacrifice by Aphrodite Jones. Jones' book on the case became a New York Times bestseller. The story was turned into a play by Rob Urban T. Herb Benati called Hazelwood Junior High, which starred Cleo Savina as Laura Tackett. The play was published by Samuel French Incorporated in September of 2009. Also an episode of the fifth season of Law and Order, a special victims unit that aired on February 24, 2004, was based on a murder. Cold Case second season episode, The Sleepover, is also based on the case. So if you want to know more about this case. But yeah, and this is, you know, 
it, you know, Shauna was not the only one who was murdered in this case. You know, everything, there's many victims too. She was a young girl. And of course, the second victim of this case was Shauna Shear's dad died of cancer in 2005 at the age of 53. He was buried next to his daughter. In an interview with Shonda's mother, Jack, you know, on the TV series Deli Woman, she stated that Shear's father was so destroyed by his daughter mur daughter's murder that he did everything he do could do to kill himself besides put a gun to his head, and that he drank himself to death. The man definitely died from a broken heart, which I can understand. I can imagine living without my. I have two girls. I couldn't, or a son too. I'm the one that can leave him out, but. I don't know. Something about a girl. They're just my. They're my babies. The Shawnish. Another thing, the Shawnish Share Scholarship Fund was established in January of 2009. It was written in the contract that the recipient will receive a plaque or document of some type that tells Shear's Shawnish story. The fund plans to provide scholarships to two students per year with you know Poster School of Technology in New Albany. One scholarship will go to a student who is continuing his or her education. Another scholarship will go to a student who is beginning his or her career and must buy tools and who needs to buy tools and work equipment. And like I said, Dr. Phil did in 2011. Dr. Phil showed aired a two-part series on the crime, which featured interviews with Shauna's mother, sisters, also confronted Hope Rippey on the show which i wanted to watch to try to get a little more information about that but i could not find it i went to drphil.com and i could not get it to work i could find clips of it on youtube but i can never follow the whole thing but in august 2011 episode 11 studios interviewed and filmed both melinda loveless and the any in the indiana women's prison and jacqueline vaught at her office for a documentary they are produced entitled Charlie Scars. Both Loveless and Vaught are closely featured. And that's another woman, Jacqueline Vaught, which I'll look her up. Maybe I'll do a case on her next time. In the documentary, which was submitted to the Sundance Film Festival in September 2011 for the 2012 festival. So, there you go, Shonda. You know, the murder of Shonda Shearer by Melinda. And let's talk about Melinda. You know, the the wake of his daughter's sentencing. Remember Melinda? Remember with her dad? Let's talk a little bit about him. In the wake of his daughter's sentencing hearing, in which extensive open court testimony about Larry Loveless was given, so everything, all the mitigate, they tried all kinds of mitigating evidence against, you know, for her, which bring up Larry Loveless was given. He was arrested in February of 1993 and brought brought back to Floyd County, Indiana, to face charges of rape, sodomy, and sexual battery. The majority of the crimes he was accused of occurred from 1968 to 1977. Loveless remained in prison for over two years awaiting trial. However, a judge eventually ruled all except one count for a sexual battery incident in 1989 had to be dropped due to statute limitations, which have five years in Indiana. Loveless eventually accepted a plea of sexual battery in a sense time served and was released in 1995. Yep, so I would like to think it's some type of karma because of her action was related to how he raised her. Well, once she got in trouble, his back, his past came back on him and he got in trouble too off the jail with you too, asshole. But yeah, f a few weeks following his release in 1995, Larry Lawless was briefly in the news Again, this time for unsuccessfully suing the Floyd County Jail for $39 million in federal court, alleging he had suffered cruel and unusual punishment during his two-year incarceration. Ain't this some shit? Among his complaints was that he was not allowed to sleep in his bed during the day and not allowed to read the newspaper. You hear that? Remember how he raised his kids and how he treated his wife? Everything, yeah, he's going to bitch and try to sue of course that was nonsense he just do that shit out of court quick as it went in and came in but let's talk about the girls and how much time they spent in jail let's say start with melinda loveless melinda loveless was released from indiana's women prison in, in annapolis on thursday september 5th 
2019 after serving 23 years and 8 months of a 60-year sentence. Laura Tackett was released from Rockville Correctional Center facility on January 11, 2018, 20, the 26th anniversary of Shonda's death after serving nearly 26 years and has completed additional year parole. By the way, oh, girl, other girl, and I won't forget her name. Melinda is still on parole. She's serving in Kentucky. Hope Rippey was sentenced to 60 years, then 10 years suspended for mitigating circumstances. Upon late appeal, her sentence was reduced to 35 years. She was released early on April 28, 2002 from Indiana Women's Prison after serving 14 years of her original sentence. No word if she's on parole or probation or anything like that. And last is Tony Lawrence. In exchange for her extensive testimony, which if it wasn't for her, I don't think, well, they probably would eventually figured out who it was. But, but then again, it was 93, so who knows. Tony Lawrence received the lightest sentence. She pleaded guilty to one count of criminal confinement and was sentenced to a maximum of 20 years. She was released December 14, 2000, after serving nine years in prison. And poor Shonda is still dead, and her father, because of it, is also dead. And she was one tough girl. She did not go out with a fight. And I'm sorry, I said 93 earlier, but it was 92. Her death was January 11th, 92. And if you want to go see her, she's buried right next to her father at Big Springs Methodist Church Cemetery Building in Spring, Breckenridge County, Kentucky, U.S. in Kentucky, Spring, Kentucky. And there you go. That's the the death of Shonda Sher a 12-year-old that just happened to try to become friends with a, you know, new students and end up meeting the wrong person and got in between a, a jealous relationship that was already broken up. And sadly, she paid the price for it, which that came out wrong. But you know what I'm saying. She's just wrong place, wrong time. And three girls who grew up in a, a devastating, you know, bad household. But anyway, there you go. If you like the telling of the story, I know the story was horrible. But if you like to tell the story, please write your review, iTunes, or anywhere you can. But mainly, just share with a friend. I'm hopefully get my Patreon and PayPal. Uh, they're up, but I don't know if they're working. If I do something, I'm not a computer, you know, genius or not like that. I'm trying to figure this out as I go. I know it's been a few years, but I just recently did the Patreon, PayPal. But I don't know if I did it right, so I'm gonna try to figure it out. Anyhow. There you have it. If you like what you hear, good. You get what you get. If you don't like it, then you could get. I'm a busy truck driver working 12, 14 hours a day. and But I do like this. And my wife enjoys the stories that I tell. So, as always, I like to end this with, you can't always fix stupid, but you can sure numb it with a 2x4. I'm out of here. Uh-huh.